0: All right. All right. Take your seats, everyone. This time we're continuing with our 50,000-mile tune-up, and this episode is about your breaks. Take your seats, everyone. Thanks.
1: Hey there, and welcome to the Change Academy podcast, a show where we share tools and strategies that we use in our work as fitness, nutrition, and weight loss coaches, as well as in our own lives for creating sustainable, positive behavior change. I'm Monica Reinagle.
0: And I'm Brock Armstrong.
1: And this is part six of our 50,000-mile tune-up series, our system-by-system system inspection and fine-tuning of our goals, our attitudes, habits, and lifestyle. And the idea here is to really thrive through our 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond. So today, in part six, we're taking a look at our breaks, which you can probably guess is our metaphor for Sleep.
0: Yeah, and I would say that putting on your brakes to stop the car is probably the second most important function that a roadworthy car needs to be able to do. And of course, the first one is actually getting the car moving forward in the first place. And as your car gets older, if you don't take care of your brakes, you'll find it harder and harder to stop your vehicle, which can lead you to run out of gas because you just have to keep driving constantly. Or you end up wearing out your transmission because you're slamming it into park or something, or even just crashing headlong into a brick wall. None of those things are good, and all of those things are things we want to avoid.
1: (laughs) Way to torture a metaphor, Brock.
0: (laughs) I'm having a lot of, I'm digging in now. We're halfway through this thing, and I'm really digging in. Now, okay, when it comes to sleep, especially these days, you probably don't need any convincing about how important it is. So we're not going to take your time reminding you that not getting enough sleep can contribute to things like increased appetite and increased levels of stress or cortisol, that stress hormone, poor regulation of blood sugar, and decreased energy to do the things that you enjoy, and so on and so on. We're also not going to spend time reviewing those basic sleep hygiene things or supplements, most of which have some mixed evidence or even just minor efficacy. You can find those if you want by just doing a search for better sleep online. So even if you haven't purchased blackout curtains, sleep masks, white noise machines, blue blocking glasses, cranked your thermostat down in the evening, set an alarm to remind you to turn off the TV and wind down each evening, well, you know the drill. So instead, what we're going to do in this episode is focus on your sleep habits and your sleep mindset starting with what has changed as we got older.
1: Yeah, as we get older, a lot of us start to notice changes in our sleep patterns. For example, very common, we may start to wake up in the middle of the night and stay awake for extended stretches. Or we might start waking up a lot earlier in the morning. Or both. (laughs) Or both.
0: (laughs) That's what I did.
1: And I think all of this focus that we're seeing in the media on the critical importance of sleep tends to make this seem like an even bigger problem than it actually is. And obviously, stressing out because you're not sleeping enough is not going to help you sleep better. Right. So one big thing that we need to do is to relax and remember that our bodies know how to sleep. Our bodies want to sleep, and they will do it if we give them half a chance. Right. And remembering that is a big part of cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, It's actually got its own little acronym, CBTI. And this has come to be the gold standard treatment for sleep disorders. Of course, once they've ruled out any other possible medical causes like sleep apnea or whatever. But once you're cleared for all of those, CBTI is where it's at these days.
0: Being a CBT um, enthusiast that I am, I've (laughs) looked into this and read a couple of books, and it really does make a whole lot of sense. And I love what you said about just remembering that our bodies know how to sleep and they'll do it if we give them a chance. I always think that our biggest goal here is just to get out of our biology's way and let it do what it wants to do.
1: I actually stole that idea from Dr. Jade Wu. She was a sleep researcher that I interviewed on the Nutrition Diva podcast. And we'll definitely put a link to that episode in the show notes for today because it's so relevant. But when she said that, your body knows how to sleep. It will sleep if you let it. I just felt my whole body relax. I could have taken a nap on the spot.
0: Right. It's (laughs) such a reassuring thought. I love it. But getting back to the CBT aspect of things, for people who are actually having a hard time sleeping, what you can learn from doing the CBTI is you learn to change stressful or untrue thoughts that you're having about sleep. You can learn how to change behaviors that are keeping you awake. And you can also improve your relaxation skills, which we did a hopefully a great job of outlining in the last episode you can apply those to your to your sleep even if you're not doing it in bed or right before bed just improving your relaxation skills can really help and of course improving your lifestyle habits that affect sleep as well so i mean cbt is really going at it from these much more mindful and behavioral kind of aspects it's not focusing in on things like supplements and and gadgets and gear it's focusing in on your thoughts really which isn't a surprise from cognitive behavior therapy. Now, like I said, I've been looking at CBTI for a while, and the biggest changes that I've made are the changes that have really made a difference for me in my sleep quality, if not quantity as well, my sleep Quality and quantity is the first thing is to not check the clock in the middle of the night. A sleep researcher named Dr. Kirk Parsley said one time I heard him doing a, a talk and he said, all you need to know is it's not time to wake up. That's all you need to know. You don't need to know what time it is. If your alarm's not going off, it's not time to wake up. That's all you need to know. And I think that was, that was a major mindset shift for me then accepting that I'm just a type of person who wakes up in the night and that's okay really made a difference for me. And we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. And of course, like we talked about last episode, practicing that relaxing four seven eight breathing pattern when I'm awake in the night has really made a difference. And you know what? Like sometimes I think what else can I do at 4 a.m.? So I may as well do some meditation, do some breathing meditation. And so at least I'm doing something good for my nervous system, even if I'm not completely asleep and it really does make a difference.
1: Yeah, I often find that helpful, too, as well, if I'm not asleep to remind myself that that I am still resting and relaxing and that there's restorative benefit to that, even if I'm not unconscious.
0: Exactly. It's like giving your nervous system a massage. <laughs>
1: So of course, getting sufficient sleep is a function of both quantity, how many hours you're sleeping, but also quality. Right. You typically cycle through various stages of REM, rapid eye movement, and non-REM sleep as you go throughout the night. And each of those different stages has different functions for your body and your brain. And the amount of time that you spend in those various sleep stages and how long they last definitely changes as we get older. And that's perfectly normal. But the deepest type of sleep is what they call stage three non REM. And when you're not getting enough or any of this particular quality of sleep, you can wake up after a full night's sleep and still feel fatigued, not feel rested. Hmm. So there are some substances that even though they may make you feel drowsy or help you fall asleep, they can also interfere with that deep sleep. And those include alcohol and caffeine and certain medications. But I found this very interesting, Brock. Another thing that can impair sleep quality, ironically, is sleeping too much Mm -hmm. or just spending too much time in bed. And that reminded me of something I learned when I was doing another Nutrition Diva episode on sleep about a therapy that's frequently combined with CBT, and it's called sleep restriction therapy.
0: I've done that. You've done that too, haven't you?
1: I did experiment with this, and I just want to say this is not sleep deprivation. I don't think that's allowed by the Geneva Convention. This is sleep (laughs) restriction therapy, and what you're doing here is just temporarily limiting your opportunity for sleep to just slightly less than you might ideally need or want. And by doing this, you can actually increase your body's physiological sleep drive. And if you're interested in hearing more details about sleep restriction therapy, we'll put a link to that Nutrition Diva episode in the show notes as well. But when it's combined with these other behavioral strategies that Brock was talking about, like the simple stuff, avoiding those arousing chemicals and environments and activities, and following a regular sleep schedule, and creating conditions that are conducive to sleep, quiet, dark, a little bit chilly, all of that, the point is you can actually train your body to sleep. Or maybe a better way to put that is you can help your body remember how to sleep.
0: Yeah, you can get out of its way. I love that. And really learning to pick up on those cues is a such an important thing like being able to acknowledge or recognize those nights where you did have that say extra glass of wine after dinner or for me i've been playing a lot of virtual reality video games if Uh i play them too late into the night i'm able to notice the effect on my sleep and say okay well there you go that's something i'll avoid in the in the future because i know that had a direct effect on my sleep it's amazing how, uh, how many times it comes up in this podcast, but running your own experiments on yourself is so valuable and remaining curious to see, is that really affecting my sleep or am I, am I diluting myself here thinking I can drink coffee after dinner and not have a problem sleeping?
1: Right. And we're actually going to have a little lab experiment for you at the end of the episode It's going to help you zero in on these things that Brock is talking about.
0: Well, one of those things I think a lot of people have noticed, a lot of people that I work with anyway, is that sometimes when you miss some sleep or you have a, a bad night's sleep and you're feeling a little loggy the next day, you may be tempted to, to skip getting out and doing some movement or doing your exercise routine. But that's really not the right impetus here because exercising can actually improve your sleep quality. It's what we call a virtuous cycle. So you get more movement, So you sleep better, which gives you more energy the next day to move more, which makes you sleep better, which gives you more energy to work out the next day, which makes you sleep better and so on and so on. So sometimes we do have to push through, I guess, that discomfort in order to get ourselves into a better cycle. And I don't think movement is the only thing that you need to do that with, but it's a really big one.
1: Yeah, that is so true. And often the payoff comes long before it's time to get back in bed, you know, just getting out there and pushing through that resistance and doing the exercise can instantly make you feel more alert and more awake during the day.
0: Especially if you can get outside and do it in the, in the sunlight as well, because we know that really helps with the circadian rhythm as well.
1: Now, another thing I want everybody to keep in mind along the lines of not stressing ourselves out about sleep is that not everybody needs eight hours to be well-rested. That's an average, and that does not represent everyone's needs. Some people need less, significantly less. Some people need more. And also many people do find that the amount of sleep that they need to feel their best changes over the course of their lifetimes.
0: For sure. And I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up those sleep tracking devices that people mm. are using these days. I think Fitbit does it. I know the Apple Watch does it. There's this thing called the Aura ring that people are wearing that track your track your sleep. I'm going to put in in quotation marks. They're getting pretty ubiquitous these days. So I think we need to, to mention, especially right now, when Monica brought up the idea that not everyone needs eight hours sleep, and stressing out about that isn't necessarily helping. I think these devices are doing exactly that they're stressing us out even more giving us these low scores mostly incorrectly as well like there there is no way to know that you're in stage 2 or stage 3 sleep without an ekg attached to your head these movement trackers really are making some wild guesses but even if they were accurate I worry that outsourcing our natural and innate ability to measure our own sleep quality, I think that's really harmful in the long run, Mm. especially in terms of what Monica was talking about in terms of not everyone needs eight hours of sleep. I think let's say you have a, a night where you know you didn't really sleep that much, but you wake up feeling good. But then you look at that device and it tells you you only slept for six hours and that you never reached deep sleep or you were only in deep sleep stage three for maybe five minutes or something. Well, that could just ruin your whole day and lead you to have even more sleep nervousness the next night. And those are the the issues that the CBTI strives to undo. So why would we stack the deck against ourselves?
1: yeah, I have definitely seen this phenomenon where people are tracking their sleep and really stressing if it doesn't if it doesn't look good enough to them because that doesn't give them any information on how to make it any better. right. And, and as you say, it may be a false positive, false negative. But we should also point out that good sleep doesn't necessarily have to be in one uninterrupted block either. Mm-hmm. And lately, we've been hearing a lot more in the media references to first and second sleep. A lot of people mm-hmm. have been writing about this and historians have found references to something that sounds like first and second sleep dating back to ancient civilizations.
0: Yeah, and in at least seven different languages I heard as well, too. Right, it
1: seems to be a universal pattern where people might sleep for a few hours, then wake up and be awake, alert, active for a few hours and then go back to sleep for a few more hours. But once again, The fact that we've now uncovered this has led some people to conclude that, oh, this is the more natural way to sleep or a better sleep pattern. And I've seen it implied that, you know, training ourselves to sleep for eight uninterrupted hours is just an evil byproduct of industrialization. But I think this too is an oversimplification because it's just not a one size fits all prescription. The first sleep, second sleep is no better or worse than eight hours all in a block But I do think that knowing that this first and second sleep thing is a thing can make it a little bit less stressful if your own sleep starts to follow this pattern. And instead of freaking out because you're awake again in the middle of the night, you can just think, oh, okay, this is a phenomenon that happens sometimes. I can get up, I can read, I can do some other task until I feel sleepy again.
0: Personally, I've got a few tasks that I do because I do wake up most nights for a little while in the mm-hmm. middle of the night. So I, I have some tasks that I do. My breathing techniques, my breathing meditation is one of them, but I'll I'll get up and play a game on my iPad that's actually a really boring game. So <laughs> it doesn't get me overstimulated. I've had it for like 15 years or something. I read a book and then I'll go back to sleep. And this is interesting too, is when I do go back to sleep, I'll start paying attention to the thoughts I'm having or be aware of the thoughts I'm having. For some reason, my brain thinks about clowns sometimes. And I know when I've had the crazy clown thought that it's actually stage two sleep that's disguising itself as being awake. Wow. And that's something I learned through the CBTI <laughs> as well. That often we dream in stage two sleep that we're that we're awake. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to learn. I think I'm getting pretty good at recognizing that, which actually eases my my mind when I realize, no, I'm not actually awake, because why would I think about that? (laughs) That's not a thought I would have. This is clearly a dream.
1: But that does give me an uncomfortable peek into your brain, Brock.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry I brought up clowns. The clowns, right? They are terrifying. (laughs) But, okay, here's something that you might actually find a little reassuring. There's a a fellow named Dr. Michael Bruce who has written about sleep. He's a a sleep researcher, and this is from his website. He said, Scientists began observing evidence of the 24-hour circadian cycle in nature in the 18th century, but it wasn't until the 1970s that scientists began to put real attention towards studying circadian rhythms in humans and developed the first tool to measure and assess individual chronotypes. And that is when we got the notion that we were either morning or evening people. Hmm. And I think a lot of us just sort of categorize ourselves and other people as being, oh, well, you're a morning person, You, you like that, or I'm an evening person. But more recently, sleep scientists have acknowledged that many of us don't fit into one of those two types. You're not just a morning or an evening person. One other thing I want to bring up from from Dr. Michael Bruce is that he actually came up with this list of fun animal analogies to really highlight a much more broad array of sleep patterns. So you're not just a morning or a night person. You're one of these animals. I think they're they're really fun. So the the animals they came up with are larks, owls, hummingbirds, (laughs) lions, bears, wolves, and dolphins.
1: Right. So we've heard larks and owls, but none of those other
0: ones. <laughs> right. So all the other ones just sort of fit in and around all those different things and you know, I I actually tend to be a dolphin myself, which is the dolphins are light and restless sleepers with a low sleep drive who tend to wake up frequently during the night. Hmm. And you know what? I found it really reassuring that <laughs> Dr. Bruce actually categorized us, so that means I'm not alone and I'm not a weirdo.
1: Plus, who doesn't love dolphins? Exactly. Yeah, I identify pretty strongly with the larks, but when I read through the descriptions, I also identified a little bit with his description of bears. He says they adhere most closely to a solar schedule and are alert and productive during the middle of the day. And I definitely noticed that I sleep a lot longer in the winter when the days are shorter than I do in the summer.
0: On my best nights, I'm a lion. And Mm. the the lions uh, leap into their days full of energy. (laughs) Then that's totally me. I drive people crazy because when I have had a, a, I guess, quote unquote, good night's sleep, I do wake up and immediately hit the ground running. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I do oscillate between the two, and that's okay as well. Dr. Michael Bruce has a quiz that'll identify which one you are. But even if you don't fit perfectly with any of these, you're getting the idea, hopefully, that there is no one way to sleep. And that is so great. So we need to shake this notion that the old eight hours of uninterrupted sleep between blah and whatever o'clock is not the be all end all. And if we don't do that, we are not doomed.
1: Right. Right. And I also want to point out that it is possible to adapt to a sleep schedule that may not perfectly match your body's natural sleep rhythm. And sometimes modern life requires us to do that, right? Mm -hmm. But here are some signs that you may not be getting enough quality sleep and that this may be a system that does require a little bit more of an overhaul. One would be that you don't feel rested even after you feel like you had a full night's sleep. Or you often feel sleepy during the day. And Dr. Wu, who I mentioned before, draws a distinction between feeling tired and feeling sleepy. Tired might just mean fatigued or even bored or restless. Yeah, emotional. Whereas sleepy really means drowsy, heavy lids, having a hard, you know, your head is nodding. And if you're feeling that way during the day, that can be a sign of poor sleep. Another red flag is that you're relying on coffee or caffeine, or other stimulants to stay awake, or that you're relying on sleep aids to fall asleep. Any one of those could signal a problem. And if you have done all that basic sleep hygiene stuff that everybody talks about, and it's not helping you, all is not lost. But we would really like to encourage you to seek out a consult with a sleep medicine specialist. This is a relatively new medical specialty, that can really help people who are having trouble sleeping. And first they're just going to help you rule out any medical issues mm-hmm. such as sleep apnea,
0: yeah, restless leg syndrome. There's, there's there are a few things that are actual medical conditions that will keep you awake.
1: Right. But if none of those are the case, they can help connect you with the most effective treatments such as CBTI. And we also included links to some sites that can help you identify sleep medicine specialists in your area. You'll find those in the show notes, which by the way, I don't think we said yet are at changeacademypodcast.com slash breaks.
0: Nice. Okay. Before we get to the lab experiment, I'm going to summarize what we've talked about so far. So first, sleep is important for your health and your well-being, but good sleep can look different for different people and even for the same people at different times in their life. And number two, even if you are compelled to follow a schedule that's not ideal for your chronotype, keeping a consistent sleep-wake schedule leads to better sleep and less sleep anxiety, which leads to more energy and better decision-making during the day. Number three, although many factors can get in the way of sleep, feeling stressed and anxious about not sleeping may be the most insidious thing, which is why CBT has become one of the most effective therapies for insomnia. And finally, good sleep hygiene is important, but it isn't always enough to resolve sleep issues. A sleep medicine specialist can help.
1: Yeah, as Dr. Wu, who is a sleep medicine specialist, uh, described it to me, Sleep hygiene is like brushing and flossing your teeth. You definitely want to do that, but sometimes you're still going to need to go to the dentist to have a cavity filled or worse. (laughs) All right. All right. So here is the lab experiment. If you feel after listening to our discussion today that your sleep routine really does need a tune-up, want to recommend that you keep a sleep diary for just a week or two, because this can really help increase your awareness of your sleep patterns and understand how they're affecting you and also help you identify things that could be undermining your sleep, as Brock was mentioning earlier. So the Sleep Foundation has put together a great sleep diary, and um, I've included that in the worksheet for you for this week. And you'll find that again at changeacademypodcast.com slash break. So step one, download the Sleep Diary Worksheet and fill that out every day for a week or two. Step two, once you've gathered some data, just sit down and take a look at that and ask yourself the following questions. Do I feel rested when I wake up? Am I drowsy during the day? Also notice, am I spending significant time lying in bed without being able to fall asleep? How consistent is my sleep schedule? And look for things that could be undermining your sleep. Are you taking naps that are too long or too late in the day? Is there any other patterns in the diary that seem to correspond to your poor night's sleep? And finally, you want to just make sure that you're making enough time for sleep. Now, if you do end up consulting with a sleep medicine specialist, take this diary with you because it will definitely provide some very useful information and clues for your practitioner.
0: All right. So that does it for breaks, but make sure to join us next time because we're going to be talking about our alignment, Mm -hmm. which is something I probably should get checked on my car. I haven't had my alignment (laughs) checked in a long time. So perfect timing for you. (laughs) It's good timing for any of us who have older cars, but also good timing for any of us who are getting older to look at our own alignment. So once again, make sure to go to changeacademypodcast.com slash breaks to get all the links that we talked about and to download your copy of The Sleep Diary. And we'll see you next time.
1: Until then, sweet dreams.
0: All right. Thanks, everyone. This has been The Change Academy Podcast with Brock Armstrong and Monica Ryanaker.